Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're beginning a series. I should say we're beginning. We're beginning and ending a short two-part series. And we began it last week dealing with this idea of this life that we have that we sometimes refer to it as a journey. And we began dealing last week with this idea that in all of our lives, there's these situations, there's these places that we come to where we really begin to be confronted with the reality of our life. For example, there comes that place in that moment of our life when we begin to look at our checkbook and realize we don't have anything in there to <clears throat> write to that bill. We come to that place, that moment where we begin to look at our health and we, we kind of running out of breath, getting to our lazy boy. And we realize, you know, maybe there's something I need to do about this. We come to that moment in our relationship when we begin to realize that maybe that person that we walk down the aisle with, there's something coming in between us. And we come to these moments and these places in our life that we say, you know, there's a destination or there's something I need to do to aim for, to improve where I'm at. But we began to say there is a destination or there's a journey that we're on that should encompass that should show or should throw its shadows over every area of our life. And we began to say we need a north point or a true north that we can aim at that begins to influence and changes the direction of where we go and how we see our life. And we began to deal with last week that that north point should be a event, not simply an idea. The event is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that moment of history that changes everything. Yet, today as we go on, I want to begin to deal with the idea that as we find, as we make a commitment to, as we choose to go towards that true north, that north point of our lives, there sometimes comes these unexpected moments that we didn't plan for. Back in 2001, my wife and I, we were working in a church in Sydney, and we decided to move to West Australia and plant a church. Now, to kind of get an idea of what that meant, it just simply meant loading up our little pickup, and we didn't have one of these big F-250, 350s. We had a little Toyota Hilux, which is, I was going to say it's a Tundra, but it's smaller than the, the Tundra. It's like the old Yeah, it's the old one, small, tiny. And we loaded that little pickup up, and we had a little trailer we put on, and it was loaded down. And as we began to hit across the country, one of the things you realize about Australia that you realize realize real quick is that Australia is a large country. There's not much out there. And in fact, the vast majority of Australia is simply nothing. Red dirt, scrub, and nothing. And so to help you get across the country, what they have done is they've actually set up a whole lot of little roadhouses. Now, I'm not sure, do we do you call those roadhouses? If you don't know what a roadhouse is, a roadhouse is simply this. It's a little petrol station, fuel station, that has a little, I guess you would say, usually they have like a little cafe. And I, I want to be careful on calling them cafe because usually it's that little place where they drop the, what we would call a dim sim or a spring roll into a deep fat fryer, maybe with a few chips, and then you can maybe get a pie out of a warmer, a meat pie. And 
and then it, you've got to, if you're lucky, some of the roadhouses have a really basic accommodation so that as you're traveling across and you find yourself at night, instead of trying to travel through the night, you stop at maybe one of these very basic accommodations, and it gives you a place. Now, these roadhouses are usually set about 100 kilometers apart, which is about 60 miles. And so what you do is you begin to plan your journey all the way across so that you make sure, okay, if I'm here, I need to look at my gauge to make sure I have 60 miles worth of fuel to get me to the next destination. Now, as we were heading across, I kind of misjudged that fuel gauge. I, I kind of looked at it and I kind of knew how far we usually could get on a quarter of a tank of fuel. And as I looked at that, I thought, man, we got enough. We'll, we'll make it the next 100 Ks. And the only thing I didn't plan on was the fact that I actually had a whole pickup truck full of stuff and a trailer that I was pulling. And so halfway across the Nullarbor between roadhouses, my little pickup truck came to a sudden stop. And there we sat in the middle of nowhere. Red dirt, flies, and knee-high scrub for as long as your eyes could see. And what went from a planned journey, planned destination, soon became a unplanned detour. So much of our life is like that. Now, I just want to say, I know this is a really simple story that deals with my inability to judge my fuel gauge, but that's the reality of our life. That is so often what we do. We think we know where we're going, and yet in a moment of an unplanned unexpected event, we find ourselves at an unplanned detour of our life. It is all too easy to overestimate our ability to navigate through our lives. To help us out this morning, to help us understand what this journey looks like, I want to go to a guy by the name of Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, and we begin to get an idea of what unplanned detours or a destination of our life looks like that we didn't plan. Now, Peter was one of Jesus's, I mean, he was one of the 12 disciples. And I say the 12 disciples, I mean, among his 12 disciples, there were three special guys that were even more special. I hate to say more special, but they were Jesus's closest allies. These were the guys that when Jesus went aside to pray by himself, he began to call three guys out, Peter, James, and John. When Jesus went up to the top of the mountain and he saw what we call the transfiguration, Peter was one of those main guys that were there, and he saw what no one else had seen. Peter was one of those guys that just had a way of saying, you know what? Jesus, wherever you're at, that's where I want to be. But Peter was even more than that. Peter was a very passionate, I, I mean, he was a determined, he was a, he was a guy who, when he set his mind to do something, he was going to do it. I guess in our colloquialism, we'd say that he was a type A personality. He would get in there, and he wasn't afraid to tell you what he thought. In fact, as Jesus was getting close to the end of his life, as he began to 
warn his disciples that his ministry actually had more to it than simply feeding the sick and having these amazing teachings. He'd actually began to deal with them and he began to stop and tell them, you know what, guys, there's coming a time when there's some suffering that's about to happen. In fact, it's going to go beyond suffering. There's coming a point of my death. And Peter, because of his relationship that he had with Jesus, he quickly spoke up. And, and I love what he says. Let's go ahead and put this up. Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. Peter had one of these relationships that he was not afraid to call Jesus out on what he thought was a very bad move. And so he says this, but Peter took him aside. And I love that little idea that he took him aside and said, let me tell you something you may not know. And he says this, he didn't just take him aside, but it says that he began to reprimand. He began to tell him off, Jesus, what are you thinking? Heaven forbid, this will not happen to you. We all know this, this can't happen. Stop talking this crazy talk. We've been following you now for three years, three and a half years, and you're starting to do a little crazy on it. Stop it. And so as he begins to do, we begin to understand that here's a guy by the name of Peter who's passionate, who's fully devoted to this Jesus guy, who's not afraid to stand up in Jesus' face and tell him what he thinks. This passion, as, as he goes on, begins to really become even more exuberant. And as Jesus comes to his final few days, he's up at the, what we call the Last Supper, and as he's warning them, he's saying, guys, this is it. It's coming. We're about to the end. You need to be prepared that what you're about to experience is going to make even those of you who consider to be my closest friends to be ashamed of me. It will make you want to run. And once again, Peter, stop this. Jesus, stop this. And he goes on, and let's go to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33. Peter spoke up, and he says, look, Jesus, don't stop, stop talking about this that everyone will be ashamed of you. Look, look at me. Even if all the others reject you, I wouldn't do that. You know me. I've been there. I'm close. Me and you, we're like, we're, you know, we're good. In fact, just a couple sentences farther on, he even goes that step farther just to say, Jesus, you know we're in this together. In Matthew 26, verse 35, he goes on to say this. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never say I don't know you. I love, I love Peter's passion. I wish I had some of that passion in my own life. I love this fact that Peter was so close that he began that he could look into Jesus' face and say, hey, stop this nonsense. Jesus, stop talking crazy. Jesus, look... I'm so close to you. It doesn't matter what everyone else does. I'm going to be true to you to the very end. That's passion. That's dedication. And yet, just a few moments later, the unexpected happened. All of us have moments like Peter. 
We find those moments. We find those things we really are passionate about. Did you ever start a class passionate about a subject, about an idea? You took up an art class saying, hey, I really want to. You took up a photography class saying, I'm going to be the best. You got involved in something. You started a four-year degree program knowing that this, I can do this. I am excited. I am passionate. I'm sold out to this. You ever found yourself standing at the front of an altar looking at the most amazing person saying, I will be there to the end for you, dear. There ain't nothing that's gonna get between me and you. You ever stood at a hospital and you look into the eyes of that brand new baby boy, baby girl and it is the most amazing, heart-touching, feeling moment and as you look into their eyes, you just say, and you know it's true, there ain't nothing I wouldn't do for you. I'd kill for you. Only to find out 16 years later, I may even kill you in the process. Those moments of passion those moments when you stood at the bank and you said, I guarantee you I can get this paid off because I know this idea I have, this business I'm about to start, it's so good, it can't fail. Yet as Peter stopped and looked and found himself in an unexpected situation a little bit later that night, we also find ourselves in unexpected situations. You see, what happened is, is as Peter was sitting there that night, Judas, who was also one of Jesus' close friends, one who said to Jesus, Jesus, hey, I'm going to follow you. And he began to understand what Jesus was saying. He didn't sign up to be with a guy who was about to be murdered. That wasn't what he signed up for. He wasn't about to be there and, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. And so what he thought is, is, hey, I know, I'll get a little bit of income. I'll make a little bit out of my wasted time with Jesus. And he sold out Jesus' position to a group of Pharisees who that night began to stop. They, they came against Jesus and they arrested him illegally. Now, Peter's passion... He, he was serious when he said, I'll, I'll be willing to die for you. When he said it in that moment, he was serious. In fact, he was so serious that what actually happened is as these guys came and arrested Jesus, Peter, who had been sleeping, who woke up, I don't know, probably startled by this amazing event that was going around him, somehow, somewhere, found a sword and started swinging it around. Now, for a fisherman to start swinging a sword around is probably not the wisest thing, and we know he was not very good at it because all he could do was manage to get the air of a servant of one of the guys that were there. Jesus calms the situation down quickly. And here's where all the passion went. Nowhere. Because in that moment, Peter fled. Now, he was serious. When, when he was Jesus' closest friend, he really was Jesus' closest friend 
friend. When he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, look, I I will never leave you. I I don't care what the others do. I'm going to be there with you to the end. And he meant it. When he said, Jesus, look, I'm willing to lay down my life and I'll die for you. He meant it. But yet in an unplanned moment, his life took a sudden detour. Fear gripped at his heart. Peter did what was probably the wisest thing he had done in a long time. He ran. Well, at least in his mind. And we don't know what caused him to run because we knew he was passionate. We knew he was sincere. We knew he was dedicated. But in that moment, the wisdom of his choices, says Peter, you just about whacked a guy's ear off. I'd take off if I were you. Peter, did you see how many guys were there? They're not there to play games. And he ran. The unexpected happened. Passion and intent to follow Jesus crumbles at unexpected roadblocks. That night as Peter hid in the shadows, he got a little curious what was going to happen to him. He really did care for Jesus. He, he didn't mean to run. He, it just happened. And so, getting curious, he began to stop and said, you know what, I really want to know what's going to happen to my friend. And so that night, as he began to go from shadow to shadow, he found out where Jesus was being held and where they were holding his trial. And he began to watch. That night, as the damp and the cold began to set in, he noticed a fire nearby, and he kind of inches up close, and he settles himself down only to find out a little while later that a young girl passes by and she looks at him and the fire lights up his face. She kind of says, aren't you one of those Jesus guys? Didn't I see you with him? Mumbling under his breath, he stops and he says, "I, I never knew him. I never knew him. Not liking where being in the light of the fire was bringing him, he decides to lurk back into the shadows and he moves back by the gate where he can be a little bit out of the way. And he begins to continue to watch on. And just a little while longer, another girl happens to be passing by and she looks at him and says, surely you are one of those Jesus guys. You were with him. I'm sure I saw you with him. A little bit more forcefully, he begins to stop and say, stop it, stop it. I I was never with him. I never knew him. And soon, the guys that were standing around as, Jesus, as Peter is making this denial of Jesus, they begin to look at him and say, you, no, you, you're one of them. You're one of them. You may be able to think you can fool us, but we know you. Your, your talk, the way you even speak, it, it betrays you. You're a Jesus guy. And in this moment, going from mumbling and splurting and He almost, you can hear the force in his voice to almost yell out, I don't know him, stop it. And letting off a few cuss words, he leaves. And in that moment, his detour 
which was simply a little bump in the road, went from bad to what he, just unbearable. Look, it's easy to look at Peter tonight and say, hey, I can't believe he did that. I, I wouldn't have done that. I'm a little different. But we all find ourselves at those moments when a choice has to be made at a certain time that stops and it, it changes our destination, it puts us onto a different course than the one we had planned. Than the one we knew we were going to follow, the one we had so much dedication and one we had so much passion about. We find ourselves at that moment when all of a sudden we're at the cashier. And the, the young cashier girl, as she's counting out the money, hands out, an extra dollar too many. And you look at it, and there's a moment of choice, a decision of a detour that needs, that I might go on. It's not that big of a deal, though, is it? We know we would never steal. We know we would never cheat. But in that moment, we make a choice. And a detour starts. We sit at a test and we're confused and yet we may have an opportunity to get some answers we didn't work for. We sit at that moment of detour. We know what decision we would make. We're, we're sure. We know we wouldn't do that, but we also know that as we're sitting there looking at this course and I've just spent how much money on this class and if I don't pass it, uh, what am I to do? I can take the shortcut. Maybe you sit at the party. And maybe, hopefully, most of us are too old for the scenario. But someone offers a little pill to make it just a little more fun. And we've always told ourselves we wouldn't do that. Maybe you're on the way home from work and it's been a rough day. And you just pass by and say, I'll just pick up a bottle just to take the edge off. Look, we could throw out scenario after scenario where we know who we are. We know our passion, we know our dedication towards an idea. We know what we're dedicated to, and yet in a moment, we can find ourselves at a point where the outcome of our decision is going to determine our journey. Peter that night, he ran. He fled into the darkness. We all have these choices, and each and every one of us find ourselves at these choices. Now, in one area, we know we're strong, and we know we could do, but in other areas, we may not be quite where we want to be. Now, the whole point of this is not to simply look at us and say, look, oh man, how rotten we are. The point of this is, of this is to say, we all find ourselves at that moment, and when it does come, what next? Is it done? You see, that night, as Peter began that detour, 
He thought he was done. He thought it was over. He thought he was finished. He knew this relationship that he had with Jesus. There had come something that had put a bit of a fracture between them. He wouldn't be able to look at Jesus in the face again and say, I I will never deny you. I will die for you, Jesus. He knew that there was now something that stood in the way of his relationship. We find ourselves at those moments when the IRS comes to audit us after we've made a poor choice of uh, filling out a tax return. Oh. How am I going to look at my wife and say, I knew I did it, but I. How do we stop and we face up to the professor who looks at us and says, uh, something's not right with this test. You see, because at that moment when the detour starts, something happens. There comes a break in our relationship with others. There comes a break in our relationship with ourself. You see, the disappointment that we see on, the others, on other people's faces when we find ourselves in these moments is nothing compared to the disappointment we feel within our own life. And it's so easy in these moments of decisions, at a moment of a detour, to stop and say, it's done, it's over, I'm finished. Give up. Find something else to do. And in essence, that's what Peter did. Peter found himself one day, and as he's out there looking, he says, you know what? I gave three and a half years of my life following Jesus, and I blew it. What is the value of my life? I only know one other thing to do. I'm going back fishing. And so he looks at some of the other disciples and says, guys, any of you want to come back with me? And several of them do it, and they go back fishing. But here's the beauty of the story, is that a detour is not the end of our journey. It just simply makes it a little more complicated. It sometimes makes it, there's a little farther we have to go, but we're not done. In fact, Jesus looked at Peter and he came back to him and says, right where you're at, I want to do something neat. In fact, Let's kind of pick up the story. Jesus comes to the beach, and we're going to pick it up right here. And I'm going to read it first, and I'll, I'll kind of explain it a little bit. Jesus comes back to the beach, and he finds Peter fishing. Now, Peter, as good of a fisherman as he was, he had another lousy night of fishing. And as he comes, Jesus says, hey, have you guys found anything? Have you caught anything? And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. Jesus said, hey, throw it on the other side. You kind of remember that trick, don't you? Throw your net on the other side. And as they did, they caught a bunch of fish. And it's in this moment, they looked up and said, oh, okay, something's a little too familiar about the scene. As they came back, Jesus sits down with Peter and he begins to quiz him. And and here's where he goes. I'm gonna read this first, then we'll kind of explain it just a little bit. When Jesus and his disciples had finished eating, he asked Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than the others do? And I love the way he asked that. You, the one who would never deny me, do you love me more than the others do? Simon Peter answered, yes, Lord. 
You know I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he stops and he says this, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him three times if he loves him. And he says, Lord, you know all things. I went to Jen. Jesus says, hey, I got a job for you. Let me just explain this a little bit. And I'm going to hurry because we're, we're coming to the end of where we need to be. But here's what he says. Simon or Peter, are you so dedicated to me? And in fact, to help us understand, he uses the word for love. He uses a word called agape. And it just means a sacrificial. It means a really heavy duty above all else. Do you really, would you give your life for me? And in that moment, I'm sure what Peter hears is these words, these voices in the back of his head. I'll never deny you. If all else leave you, I'm there with you to the end. I'll die for you. And so Peter answers, and Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. But he doesn't use the word agape. He uses a little word called phileo. Now, phileo is where we get Philadelphia from, which means the city of brotherly love. So in other words, what Peter is saying is, is this. Yeah, Lord, I love you like a brother. And Jesus looks at him again and says, come on, Peter. Would you really give your life for me? Do you really love me? Peter, I imagine, looks down again and says, yeah, Lord, you know, I, I love you like a brother. And here's where it gets fun. Because Jesus looks at him and he comes down to his level and he says, well, Peter... Do you really love me like a brother? And he uses Peter's word. Do you phileo or do you love me like a brother? Peter says, you know, Lord, I'm not gonna do the whole commit to die for you thing because you know I failed you. But you know I love you like a brother. In essence, Jesus is basically saying, come on, Peter, I've got a job for you then. You're not done. It's not finished. I'm not, I'm not angry at you. I'm not even asking you to apologize. That really hurt when you denied me three times, but I get it. I'm not asking for an apology. I just want one thing from you. Come back. I've got something better planned. And that's where we find our own lives. When we come to those detour moments of our life, it doesn't matter whether the detour is a big one or a small one. It doesn't matter as we sit on the other side of it saying, how could I? I don't know why I did that. That is so out of my character. It's not done. The detours of our life does not determine our destination. The detours of our life does not say it is finished. It just simply means we got a little farther to go. And Jesus reaches out his hand and says, hey guys, come on back. Come get it right. Come back, I got a job for you. It's not over. Peter, the one who denied Christ, 
went on to become the leader of Jesus' group. He became the head of the church at that time. He began to lead all the others. The one who denied, the one who said, I didn't know that guy. God said, I have something bigger for you. Look, whatever detour is, a small one, a big one, it's okay. Get it taken care of and come back. Jesus sits looking at us saying, hey, you know what? It's all right. I have a plan for you. Your dream may be shattered of what you thought you were going to do. The journey you thought you were going to take, this may not be the one you're actually going to do. But I have one that is perfect for where you find yourself. Come, follow me. The reality is this. God does not want to waste your detour. So, today, if you are in a detour, if you have found yourself past wondering what am I going to do about this detour that I've taken in the past, now I've got to do something about it. Or if you will make a detour, which you will. We all do. Do not despair. Go back to that north point, to the one who gave his life for you. And in that moment of grace, find a purpose for the detour you find yourself on. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, as we get ready to close, all of us, some of us have made huge detours. Some of us have made small detours. But all of us have found ourselves on this journey we call life, and we've found ourselves in a situation that was not quite the one we expected. We had planned something different. And Father, we all found ourselves in a different spot than we intended. And Father, I pray, help us not to throw up our hands and give up. But to simply say, God, I hear you calling me back, and we're coming. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed real quickly, I just want to ask you a real couple of real personal questions. Number one, have you ever found that north point in your life? Have you ever found that true north? Have you ever found that thing which guides all of who you are? In other words, have you ever found yourself at the foot of the cross? At the door of that open tomb? saying, God, I come. I accept what you did for me. I accept your sacrifice, your love, your life. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you right where you're sitting this morning, just stop and say, God, I'm here. I give you my life. Help me to follow you. Maybe this morning, maybe you're at a detour point of your life. Will you just simply look up would you look back to that moment? Would you look at the cross? Would you look at the tomb once again and say, yeah, you paid it all for it. You, even those mistakes I'm making now, it's done. It's finished. It may be a detour. But God, I come and I accept your grace and your forgiveness all over once again. Will you come back? Father, thank you for that unbelievable grace. 
thank you for the tomb. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, thank you that you said there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Your love covers every detour of our life. And Father, you want to take the shattered dreams that we may have and do something great. And